production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream Public Media are made possible by PNC and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated. Thank you, thank you. Many of you know what that gong means. It means we're ready to start. So, hello and welcome to the City Club. Oh, I like that, let's do that again, hello. Hello. Okay, I, we want that energy in the room, right? Okay, so welcome to the City Club of Cleveland where we are devoted to conversations of consequence that help democracy to thrive. It's Monday, in case you didn't know what day it is, where you are. It's Monday, November 7th, and I'm Marsha Maccabee, President and CEO of the Urban League of Greater Cleveland, and I'm going to stop for a minute and take a moment of personal privilege. I first of all want to acknowledge in the room my fellow presidents of Urban Leagues in Northeast Ohio, you guys, I know you stood up, but you worked hard to get many of your constituents here, and I want to recognize and appreciate you. So, um, Paris from Lorain County Urban League. Tom Conley from Warren Youngstown. And Diane Stevens Robinson from Stark County, okay? We work together as part of the Ohio Council of Urban Leagues. There are seven affiliates in the state of Ohio, and we have the privilege of facilitating the Ohio Council along with Diane Stevens Robinson, so we're happy that you're here. Also, I want to acknowledge my organization is in the house today, the National Coalition of 100 Black Women. I have both my national president, Elizabeth Jones, and my local president, Dion Jones, and my members here uh, to support today. And then finally, I want to salute our future that's in the room, which are the students who are here to join us today. All right, we'll get on with it. It is, and my staff, my staff, who have done an amazing job pulling this together. Staff, I love you, I love you, I love you, and thank you for all you do every day to make your CEO look good. Okay, so it is my pleasure to introduce today's forum, which is part of the City Club's Education Innovation Series, featuring the 2022 National Teacher of the Year Award winner, Kurt Russell. Can we give it up? So we are, so, and he is right from Oberlin, Ohio, in the state of Ohio. I know I got some uh, Lorain County folks in the house, okay. So Kurt is a 25-year veteran of the classroom and teaches history at Oberlin High School in Oberlin, Ohio, where he was born and raised. His classes include, and as an urban leaguer, I love this, African-American history, which he has taught since the late 1960s. 
That's what it says here. That's not right, no. right? <laughs> Nin 1990s. Inverted number. Okay, or maybe it's my eyes, Kurt. I don't know. I'm sorry. He also teaches race, gender, and oppression, a class that he developed himself. He also serves as faculty advisor for the student-led Black Student Union. I only knew about that on college campuses, okay? So that's pretty amazing. And his work has led to positive impact for students across all the racial groups. You know, that's what equity is about. It doesn't just raise one group. When one group does better, we all do better. As educators know, Students are often impacted by policymaker decisions. We've seen a lot of that lately. And this can range from curriculum standards, school funding, assessments, and more. Right at this moment, politics both inside and outside the classroom are creating challenging situations for teachers and administrators, and I know many of you in this room are feeling that today. So as the 2022 National Teacher of the Year, Kurt has been advocating for classrooms that better reflect the students within them. This includes a curriculum that reflects their backgrounds and identities to a more diverse teaching profession as well. So here to moderate the conversation with Kurt today is the Honorable Mayor Frank Whitfield of Elyria, Ohio. Yeah, yeah. And for those of you that don't know, Frank was a longtime colleague when he served as the President and CEO of the Lorain County Urban League. So. We have, a, uh, we have a saying in the Urban League movement that says, once an Urban Leaguer, always an Urban Leaguer. And Frank has proven that by his partnership here today. So finally, if you have a question when the Q&A session starts for our speaker, anybody can text it to this number, 330-541-5794. Again, that's 330 330- 541-5794. You can also tweet your question to at the City Club, and City Club staff will try to work it into the second half of the program. So without further ado, members and friends of the City Club of Cleveland, please join me in welcoming Mayor Frank Whitfield and the 2022 National Teacher of the Year, Kurt Russell. Gentlemen, take it away. Yes, yes. <laughs> sit down, sit down. Please, sit down. Thank you, thank you. Woo, woo, woo. Sit down, sit down. Thank you so much. You are too kind. Thank you so much. Um, and I'm glad y'all did that. You know, as you heard Dan mention, uh, these forums have been going on since 1912. And here, um, I think one thing that I, I think is important for us is to be present and recognize um, 
the historical significance of you being on this stage right now. I appreciate uh, it. Not only as an educator, but um, based on recognition, the best educator in Ohio and the best educator in the nation. So that's a big deal, man. It's a big I deal. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. So, so good afternoon, everyone. Uh, I'll be trying to take you on this journey today. I really have two goals in mind. One is to give you some insight into Kurt's life and who he is as an individual. And secondly, as was mentioned, we have uh, an important election tomorrow and there'll be important elections happening in the future. And to really uh, talk about the impacts of politics on individuals uh, like Kurt. But before we get into that, I want to give a special thank you to City Club of Cleveland, the Ohio Council of Urban Leagues. Thank you to Cecilia Render and the Norton Corporation, Tony Richardson of the Gun Foundation. Thank you to Kurt and all our teachers uh, who do amazing work every day. I think us parents, we got a taste of, of teaching during COVID and uh, God bless you, God bless you. Uh, you can have that job back. Uh, so we appreciate everything that you do. But I just thought, I thought we'd start off just giving us a glimpse of who is Kurt Russell, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, so give us a little bit of your background and where you come from, Kurt. Well, Mayor Whitfield, thank you so much um, for that question. And allow me to say thank you, each and every one of you for being here. It's a honor um, to share this space and time uh, with you. City Club, thank you for the invitation as well. Born in Oberlin, um, both my parents, which is an important story, so just go with me on this journey. Both of my parents were born in Alabama, okay? So they migrated from a small town that's called Linden, Linden, Alabama. And so they came to Ohio looking for, I guess you could say, a better life. Um, so while in Alabama, they develop a Southern culture. And this culture always had these three images. And these three images really shaped my teaching because I was inquisitive. They had three pictures, a picture of Jesus, Martin Luther King Jr. and JFK. Okay. <laughs> so it's every Trinity, right? like, establishment I've been to rather it was down south visiting mm. or here in Ohio, always had those three pictures. And I was so inquisitive about those three images. I was raised in the church, so I knew Jesus. Amen. But Martin Luther King Jr. and JFK was kind of odd to me. Mm -hmm. And so I started researching, my parents started teaching me, and from there I developed a sense of learning. Mm. Like a pride of learning. Mm. I always wanted to learn, learn, mm. and learn. And that who shaped me, who I am as this ongoing learner. Someone who believes that learning should take place no matter how old you are. Mm. Um, and so from there, my kindergarten teacher, mm. her name was Miss Francine Toss. Miss Toss was a middle-aged white woman. In her kindergarten class, was probably 13 students of color out of 18. One day, Miss Toss opened up a picture book. I'm going back to these three pictures. She opened up a picture book and she said, I'm going to read a story to you. Now, this is kindergarten. It was, and she says, a story about Martin. So she began opening up the book and my eyes got big because every single picture in that book looked like me. Every single one. So it was a story about Martin Luther King Jr. Mm. 
1978, before DEI became popular, be before Martin Luther King holiday was developed, Ms. Toss was intentional mm. about the work where she said to herself, I have students of color mm -hmm. in my class mm -hmm. that needs to see themselves in the curriculum. And from there was this growth of learning mm -hmm. and developed to learn. Mm -hmm. And my first black male teacher who is here today in eighth grade was Mr. Larry Thomas. Yeah, Mr. Thomas, yep. why don't you Now, before you, go, yep. before you jump into Mr. Thomas, I want to get into to the, the, what, what he did. Mr. Thomas is my principal as yes. well when I went to Auburn in one year. So I really want to hear this story. Uh, but before we get into that, um, you talk about Ms. Toss and, yes. and that representation. How have you used that, that inspiration in your classroom now to make sure students see themselves? Because with Ms. Toss, because she was intentional about the work, because she excited her students, because she engaged her students, is what I try to bring to my classroom. And so therefore, courses that I teach, African-American history, race, gender, and oppression, I try to identify my students within the curriculum. There's nothing like seeing yourself in the lesson, right? When you see yourself in the lesson, you develop, you grow, you are more engaged, um, you are more willing to participate, not to belong, mm. but willing to participate yeah. in the learning process. Yeah. And that's what Ms. Toss mm. really inspired me to do as a teacher. And it sounds like you were, you, she was super intentional. And you are, so as opposed to saying, all right, here's the curriculum. Let me try to make these students fit into it. It sounds yeah. like you're doing the reverse of thinking, how can I find curriculum that fits into the lives of my students? Yes, because it has to be student-centered. Mm. Right. So everything that we do as educators, students have to be at the center mm. of that discussion. Mm. So it's not about making sure that Kurt Russell feels comfortable in the classroom mm. or making sure that I'm teaching lessons that excites me or lessons that I'm comfortable with. It's all about the students. So the students need to grow. The students need to learn. And the way you do that is by introducing them to themselves, mm. right? Introduce them to themselves awesome. in the classroom. That's awesome. Let's give them a hand. That's good, mm -hmm. That's good stuff. You know, that makes me think about the, what the root word of education is to bring out or bring forth. Yes. And, and it sounds like that's what you're doing in the classroom. All right, let's talk about Mr. Thomas, yes. the one who used to get me in trouble yes. all the time. So, yeah. so you had Mr. Thomas when you were in middle school. Middle school. What was it about him that made you say, I want to be a teacher just like him? What was it about what he did? Um, I, I share this story all the time. I cannot remember what Mr. Thomas taught me. Right? I can't remember if he taught me algebra, if he taught me um, square roots. But I understand and recognize how he made me yeah. feel. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's two types of teachers, in my opinion, teachers that inspire you or teachers that put you down. Mm. I remember both. Mm. I remember teachers who put me down mm. and I remember teacher who inspired me. Mm. And Mr. Thomas inspired me. So it was the way he carried himself. Mm. He carried himself like a professional. Mm. He dressed well. Um, he participated in community activities. He, we, 
went to the park with us, they played basketball. So he built relationships mm -hmm. with all students, not just black students, mm -hmm. but with every single student, the way he greeted his students as they walked into mm -hmm. the classroom, mm -hmm. um, the way he treated his students fairly mm -hmm. and with equitable um, circumstances. That was Mr. Thomas. And so I tried to model that behavior. Mm -hmm. um, Mr. Thomas never made punitive consequences. Mm. All the consequences was relevant and was necessary. Mm. And that's what I tried to bring to my classroom. Oh, that's awesome. Yep. And I can attest, I got in a lot of trouble at Overland. Yes. Yeah. He, he, it wasn't you know, punitive. He was good. Yes. Yeah, he, he took care of me. I appreciate yeah. you. You and Miss TB. Y'all <laughs> took care of me. Um, so, um, but, so you were inspired, yes. but I think one thing that's important to note is your journey wasn't linear. It wasn't like you said, I'm going to be a teacher now and I'm going to apply and get the job and be a teacher. Talk mm -hmm. to us about that journey because there, it wasn't like this easy path for no. you becoming a teacher. So talk a little no, bit about it. Wasn't. it. Um, I always wanted to be a teacher. Mm -hmm. um, that was my profession of choice. Um, I always say, share this story that being the educator is the only profession that I believe could have loved me, right? I don't think being a lawyer could have loved me. Mm. I don't think being a doctor could have loved me. Um, being an educator loved me um, because of the student's relationship. So I always wanted to be a teacher. However, the first position that I applied for uh, was Oakland City Schools, mm. and I was declined. Mm -hmm. um, they hired a, a person from a different, <laughs> from a different community mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that did not look like Oberlin community. Mm -hmm. And the reason they gave was because I had no experience. Mm -hmm. right? let, let, let's pause it right there. I want you to pick it back up. But think about how many people's journey stops right it's there. They're, they're excited about something, inspired about something, apply for it, think they're the right person, boom. Yes. No, no That's thank it. you, no, no experience, et cetera. And people just say, all right, I'm going another direction. Mm -hmm. You continued on. Yeah. What did that look like and, and what drove you to continue on and not go on to something different? Because it was my profession of choice. Mm. It's the only thing that I wanted to do. And the only place where I wanted to teach mm. was in Oberlin, mm. right? And so being turned away is just a struggle. That's all. Mm -hmm. um, it does not define who I am. Um, I continue to march forward yeah. in my goal as being a history teacher at Oberlin High School. Yeah. In the year after, um, I applied again. A position became available, and I received um, the job. And this was this was uh, in school suspension. Was that this? My first job yeah. was in school suspension. I was the in school suspension coordinator. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um, yeah. So in school suspension coordinator. And I taught one course that I developed, which was African-American history. Mm -hmm. But that was the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. Being yeah. the in-school yeah. suspension coordinator yeah. and being denied yeah. the best thing that happened yeah. to me. You made lemonade out of lemons, mm -hmm. but that shouldn't have been the case. Yeah. And I think it, for us as decision makers, we need to see the opportunity we almost missed. Yes by making such a short-sighted decision to say no experience, et cetera, mm -hmm. and now here you are the National Teacher of the Year. Mm -hmm. uh, so whoever made that decision, yeah. uh, mm -hmm. you ain't got to call them out. But no, no, we won't say that. <laughs> but I think, you know, that's something that's important to note. Mm -hmm. So, you know, only 2% of uh, teachers in the country, 2% are black males. Yeah. 
tell us about why you think that is and what can we be doing to change the policies mm -hmm. around uh, impacting that? Well, the first issue is that black boys are not encouraged mm. to become educators. Mm. Um, when a white girl is in the third or fourth grade, you always hear, you will be a great teacher one day. Mm. Right? You, you hear that all the time. Mm -hmm. But you never hear someone encouraging a young black boy to be a teacher. And that's the problem in itself, mm -hmm. is that we recognize the talents of young black boys, mm -hmm. but we don't pursue them in education. Mm -hmm. Rather, we pursue them in other entertainment opportunities, mm -hmm. but never in the field of education. Mm -hmm. So that's the first issue we need to encourage. Um, number two is pay, mm -hmm. right? Let's, let's be mm -hmm. honest with ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when there are some communities here in this country where teachers have to take on a second yep. job yep. to make ends meet. Yep. And so who will encourage a person yeah. to go into education when your job. bills are not met yep. or your yep. needs are not met? Yep. Yep. So we need to really rework, transform, rethink mm -hmm. the way we encourage young people to go into education. And, and uh, Dan and I were talking earlier and he mentioned there's some policies that are potentially being proposed at the national level around uh, minimum teacher pay. And I really hope that um, that we move that forward because I do believe our teachers are, are underpaid. Mm -hmm. Again, again, last last year during the pandemic, we saw we was ready to pay teachers out take all my money. Right. Take these kids, <laughs> take these right. kids and the money and yeah. uh, go for it. So, no, we, we definitely want to recognize mm -hmm. that. So, so you mentioned earlier you d you've developed your own classes. Yes. So one of the classes you teach is called Race, Gender, and Oppression. Mm -hmm. Talk to us. What is this class about? It came really from students. 2006, 2007 was when the class was developed. And students wanted more. Right? They wanted to see themselves more. And I wanted to provide more. And so this particular class, Race, Gender, Oppression, really dives into issues that some might consider controversial, where some might consider young people should not learn about. So we look at women's rights movement. We look at black um, issues in America. We look at economic oppression. We look at LGBTQ plus um, unit, gay rights movement. And the reason for it is to provide students with a holistic education. Mm -hmm. We can't consider ourselves civic engaged if we don't know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? So you can't vote properly, in my opinion, mm -hmm. if you don't know. Mm -hmm. You cannot converse properly if you don't know. Mm -hmm. And so what's a better place to learn for a young person in an environment that is safe and conducive to learning. Yeah. Yes. No, that's uh, that's powerful. Mm -hmm. And I think someone mentioned earlier around some of the policies that are being proposed at the state level uh, uh, around divisive topics yes. that um, you might not be able to teach your class mm -hmm. if, if uh, those policies are passed. Mm -hmm. uh, have, have you thought about that? And also the, the impact of those policies um, May not may have prevented you from being on this stage right now. Yeah. So have you thought uh, about that? You know what? I have, mm -hmm. and I have not. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I'm going to answer mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. I'm so supported by Oakland City Schools. You know, mm -hmm. Dr. David Hall, um, his staff, and the city of Oakland itself, mm -hmm. where we believe in making sure that students learn. Mm -hmm. um, so if legislation comes down where it says certain topics should not be taught. 
Um, you still gonna teach? I'm still gonna teach. (laughs) So I don't apologize. (laughs) I don't apologize for that. Yeah. Um, You know, I make it known because if I was a math teacher, Mm. if I say two plus two is six, you would say that I'm incompetent. Mm. You would say that. Mm So if I stand before you and say that sexism does not exist in our country, mm. you th- and that's okay, mm. right? If I say that um, no, slavery did not happen mm. or reconstruction did not happen mm. or race relations in America is at its highest hormone, you would say that I'm incompetent. Mm. So why young people cannot learn these issues, mm. right? Mm-hmm. They're more than capable of learning, yeah, yeah. and I think it's important. So, so, you know, I think about a couple of things you said. I think about the uniqueness of Oberlin, being yes. the first city to offer degrees to women and people of color at the college level. Uh, I think about the abolitionist movement in Oberlin, the Underground Railroad. Mm-hmm. You've gotten a chance to travel around the country, yes. though, and you've gotten to speak to thousands of people and educators. How are they responding to you in terms of this message? Because in Oberlin, it sounds different yes. than in Iowa or in <laughs> Texas or mm-hmm. uh, or even some places here in Ohio. Yeah, yeah to the point to the point being said. Yeah, mm-hmm. go down you know thirty miles down the road and you know let's hear the response there. So what, what have you been getting as a reaction? You know what, my, my main purpose is to share my lived experience. Mm. Right? Can't argue with that. Yes. So mm-hmm. it's hard to debate someone's lived experience. Mm-hmm. So my lived experience in the classroom is that students are interested in the topics. I believe students are learning. I believe students are growing. We are forming better relationships. Um, and so that's my experience. And when I travel, that's what I share. Mm-hmm. Um, especially to audience that might not be of such, mm-hmm. where audience are not too acceptive of mm-hmm. teaching um, you know, women's rights mm-hmm. or L- LGBTQ plus rights. Um, but I will continue to voice that because our students are learning mm-hmm. and our students need to really focus on their own personal yeah. growth and the teachers mm. need to recognize that our students are able mm. to handle these they can grab they, they can, can handle i think that, yeah. that that's the one thing i find is issue. my wife always tells me about like our kids can handle the conversation yes, and i'm always like are you sure you want to talk to them about that yes you need to t- i got four daughters so <laughs> you can understand what the topics yes. are yeah. and so uh, <laughs> um and she's like, yo, we, yes, they can handle yeah. the, the conversation. It's age appropriate, mm-hmm, right? Everything mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. age appropriate. So a first grader, second grader, no, I would not dive into, I don't know, reconstruction or slavery yeah. and the brutality of Have that. Have showing up to school. Like, yes, you know. of course. <laughs> <laughs> but if you are a junior and senior at Oberlin Senior High School, yeah. you yeah. are more than able to handle no those stories. No doubt about mm-hmm. it. Um, so... You know, I got, we're going to get some questions here in a mm-hmm. second. So start to get your questions ready. If you want to start texting them in, pl- feel free to start texting them in. So what would you say? So there's, these, there's national policies mm-hmm. that are passed, whether there's No Child Left Behind, or ESSA, then at the state level, you got whether it's third grade, grade re- third grade reading guarantees or how, you know, from the STAR system, the grade system, you got the state, then you got the, the local school board yes. authority as well. What is your message to those who are making these policy decisions from a teacher's perspective? Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I'll have a follow-up to that. Yep. But what would you say is the, the message you think we, we need to hear as politicians mm-hmm. uh, around? Well, classroom? the first thing 
is that any policy that is being directed, that is being introduced, if there's not a teacher at the table, that's problematic. Mm. Mm. So you cannot form policies without the experience of classroom instructors. Mm. No, that, that has to be the, the forefront, the key. Mm -hmm. And if teachers are not there, then it's irrelevant, mm. right? The policy is mm. irrelevant because teachers are in the, I call it the grind, right? The mm -hmm. grind mm -hmm. each and every day. Mm -hmm. And teachers know the pulse of education. If you mm -hmm. would like to discuss what is happening in education, mm -hmm. talk to a teacher. Mm -hmm. Talk to yep, a teacher, yep. the teacher got the pulse. So that was uh, my follow-up question mm -hmm. is, what have been some of those policies that you've actually felt or you know, have you felt some of the policy changes? Because there's been some toxic policies that have been passed, especially and even in our state, yeah. that have impacted local education, public education. <laughs> have, have there been any that you felt? And if so, you want to name those? But just talk to me about yeah. how some of these policy decisions have impacted you. You know, all the policies that have been very controversial and throughout this country, right? The, um, the CRT conversations, the banning of the books conversations, mm -hmm. it really does one thing. Um, it really discourages teachers mm -hmm. from teaching and also young people going into education, right? And so these policies that are being directed and aimed, in my personal bias, at teachers is really giving educators a, a hopelessness mm -hmm. attitude. Mm -hmm. Why am I in this field where I'm supposed to help students mm, mm -hmm. and I'm not being supported on mm, that, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. I would like to give my students an opportunity to learn and grow and to read tough material, mm -hmm. but I can't do that. Mm, mm -hmm. So it's a sense of hopelessness mm. that educators are experiencing throughout yeah. this country. Mm. And for young people, like I said earlier, a young teacher going into education mm -hmm knowing the background of what's happening, mm. why would you continue to yeah, do so yeah. unless you have that passion? Yeah, that's, that's one of those um, byproducts of what I think a toxic democracy. Yes. And, uh, you know, we talk about that on a local level oftentimes. Is that when, when people think they're, they're being savvy and political and they're trying mm -hmm. to score points with sides, mm -hmm. they don't understand that there's ramifications for yes. people in professions who do the work every day who hear that stuff and they feel and say, I'm not going that direction yes. or I'm going to stop doing that. And um, I hope that we can, uh, teachers like you can help to change that. Yeah. And, and what really saddens me is when we play politics with our kids, mm -hmm. right? When we play politics with our kids to score points mm -hmm. and our kids are not tokens. Our kids mm. are not game pieces mm -hmm. that we need to play with. Mm. And that's important. Oh, that's good. Um, one of the things that um, I heard you state before was that, um, you know, you're right now going on this tour around the country, which I, I would love mm -hmm. to hear you speak about what that experience has been like. And you said, I want to end my teaching career in Oberlin. I'm yes. coming back to Oberlin. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of money to be made in other places than Oberlin. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and there's a lot of other things you could be doing. I'm sure, you know, I know we're going to have you up here for the book. The book is next. Book I'm, is I'm next. claiming that okay. for you. The book is next. Um, but aside from the book, um, talk to us about why, you know, because I'm trying to, I'm not trying to steal them from y'all, Overland, by the way. I'm just saying there's a lot of other places that need to hear your perspective. Mm -hmm. And do you, have you thought about 
teaching is just you've been doing 25 years 25 um then maybe your voice could be lend in a, a broader space i know the students like don't take my teacher <laughs> i'm not trying to take your teacher i'm sorry yeah. i'm just do you have you felt that man this talk to us about mm -hmm. the, the, the going around the country i'm, talking I'm glad that you asked that and if i could focus on that first question okay. um James Baldwin put it this way, where when you learn, I'm paraphrasing, one of the worst things you can do is to receive an education and then run from your community, mm. right? Mm. And so instead of me trying to better myself, mm. I think it's important for me to try to better my community, mm. right? I think that's, that's impactful, yeah. right? And so, you know, chasing after, I know you didn't say that, but chasing after money or chasing after fame or recognition mm -hmm. is not part of my DNA. Mm -hmm. um, this a class, I shouldn't say that. I'm a classroom teacher yeah. that I love doing. Yeah. Um, I love standing by my door when students come in, where I meet a hundred something students every single day. Mm -hmm. um, I feel more connected that way. Mm -hmm. um, so... That's why I always tell everyone, you know, yeah. I'm coming back to Oberlin, yeah, even that. though you hear, hear rumors are going somewhere else. I hear that loud. And yeah. I, again, I guess what I'm speaking to is not necessarily, mm -hmm. I'm thinking about the cities like Cleveland. Yes. I'm thinking about the cities like Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about the cities like uh, New York. You know, these big cities that need your perspective and mm -hmm. need, they need that representation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was born in Oberlin. I love Oberlin. Yes. Um, You've served a lot of time. I'm glad you're sticking mm -hmm. with Oberlin. Well, I need you to do some training classes for the rest of us then. Something, <laughs> something to help the rest of us lift up. Because mm -hmm. I, do, I do think there's, a, there's an aspect of being um, called to service. Yes. You know? and, uh, and so uh, before we jump to the audience questions, mm -hmm. talk to us about what you've been doing. So the past year, you've been traveling around. Because there's context yes. to why I asked the question. Yeah. So um, I've been blessed where I'm on sabbatical from Oberlin and I'm traveling. Okay, I just came back from Austin and D.C. and New Jersey. So every week I'm going somewhere, uh, talking to teachers, organizations, and just learning. So it's a process that I'm going through. It's a, uh, I'm being uh, re-energized uh, with this uh, because I'm trying to share my voice. But if I could be biased and be truthful, I'm learning more mm. through this process. Mm. I'm learning about the great teachers that are out there that are doing the work day in and day out. Mm. Um, and so it's been such a joy and such an honor and just a privilege. Mm. Right? Not too many teachers have a privilege to take a year off, mm -hmm. um, still receive pay, and travel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Free dope. travel. It is pretty dope. It's a great deal. It is. It is. Yeah. Well, we're going to go to some questions from the audience. Okay. All right, thank you so much. Uh, we are about to begin the audience Q&A. We welcome questions from everyone, City Club members, guests, students, and those joining via our live stream at cityclub.org. If you'd like to tweet a question for our speaker, please tweet it at the City Club. You can also text it to 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. That's largely for our, our virtual audience uh, joining us via our live stream. And our City Club staff will work that into the program. May we have our first question, please? Hi, we have a question from our virtual audience. 
How do you imagine school will change over the next 20 years? Is traditional school still viable, still working? Well, thank you for that. Uh, the one thing we really have to reimagine in terms of school is a career pathway. You know, we have to normalize career opportunities for our students. For so long, we have pushed college, four-year degrees, where the case may be, but we never push the opportunity for our students to find their own interests mm -hmm. and to hold on to, the, to their interests. And I'm imagining 20 years from now, you would see more of a journey in education for those students who are not interested in, in college. My youngest son um, told my wife and I when he was in fifth grade that he did not want to go to college, mm -hmm. which is totally fine. Right, that he wanted to take a career pathway, and we could normalize that a little yeah. bit more. Yeah, That'd be and important. I, I we got our vocational school from Lorraine County here represented, and mm -hmm. that's a big deal. To, um, and I think part of the 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 economy is going to demand of us to of have course. more skills because you can have that piece of paper, and then somebody say, "Okay, thank you." Now, what can you do? That's right. It's like. I can do school, and it's like, well, all right, school's over else. now. That's right. It's time to work now, else. you know. Um, so, no, that's that's a good point. Next question, yep. Thank you, Brittany. Um, I'm a student from Euclid High School, and my school is this, our group is Career Tech. Um, this is our teaching professions Career Tech. Great. So, thank you for inviting us. Um, my question is, for us to be future teachers, I want to be a history teacher. So, what do you, what advice would you give us? Well. First of all, um, maybe you and I could exchange emails. I would love just to help you along the way. Um, probably, I, I always take this with me. Number one, you have to be unapologetic mm. in what you teach, mm. right? Um, you have to be truthful, right, in what you teach. And you have to put students at the center of everything that you do. If you have those three entities, in your toolkit as a teacher, I believe you'll be successful. Be unapologetic of who you are, okay, as a young black woman um, going into education. Be truthful in what you teach and make sure that students are at the center of everything that you do. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. We have one of our, our state school Hi, board dear. members here, Ms. Johnson. Let's give her a hand. Yes, yes. Uh, welcome to Cleveland, Kurt. Thank so you. good to see you. Good to see you again. Um, Cleveland recently uh, received some devastating news that CEO Eric Gordon of the Cleveland Schools is not going to be doing that job at the end of the school year. And um, so with you being the National Teacher of the Year, there is going to be a search for a superintendent. My question to you is, uh, I'm not going to, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, I knew that y'all would think that. I'm not going to ask a job interview now. I am not going to take Kurt away from Overland, okay? My, my question is, what would you look for in a superintendent if you were on the search committee? Great question. Um, I was fortunate to be on several interviewing teams um, at Oberlin, and there's a couple things that I really look for in a candidate. Um, and you could 
really feel this when that person walks in. Are you passionate about the work? Mm. Right? Or is it a stepping stone for mm. you? Mm. So are you passionate about the work? Have you researched the community that you are going into? Mm. Right? And then number three, what is your equity work? But more importantly, what is your racial justice work mm. that you have provided? Mm. Yeah. That's key. Yeah. You know, we, we have a couple superintendents here. Can superintendents wave your hands? I know uh, Jerome Davis, Ann Schloss, Dr. Hall, another superintendent over here. Um, and I've gotten a chance to work with some superintendents on, on a number of equity issues. And one of them has been conducting an equity audit. Yes. And uh, Ross May, my guy back there, you didn't know I seen you. I see you back there. He conducts these equity audits where you do a deep dive of the data and really look at what are the numbers saying in terms of students yes. of color getting in advanced classes, the suspension rates, the graduation rates, and really looking at those disparities? Because the data tells a story in itself. How do you think we should be, you know, but, you know, data can be misused as well. But how do, yeah. you, how do you feel about the whole equity audit and data side you of know, things? You know, it sounds, I have to be honest, I'm not too familiar with it, but it sounds like great work. Mm -hmm. um, but I always really throw caution the wind. DEI work is wonderful. Mm -hmm. It's great work. But you can't have DEI work without racial justice work. Mm -hmm. Right? It's like DEI work, it's like a band-aid mm -hmm. over the issues. Jesus. Right? Jesus. So that racial justice, you have to kind of chip away mm -hmm. at the foundation a little bit. What does that look like? That looks like is all of your staff members are in agreement mm. that there's a issue mm -hmm. within our school system mm. that deals with racial work. Wow, wow. Right? That's powerful. Because all staff members have to be in agreement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If all staff members are not in agreement and yeah. we do DEI work, wow. we just put a band-aid mm. over the issue. Jesus. Yeah, so got to knock it out. That's good stuff, man. Yeah. That's good stuff. Just that, just that acknowledgement of it um, I think it's hard for people. It's, it's hard. <laughs> right it's now, hard. Um, they, they, there's, a, there's this desire to want to be post-racial and just, yeah. you know, there's this desire to kind of move on. Let's just move on with the conversation. Yeah. But to your point, um, we have to address that, That's you it. know. And just a plug, mm -hmm. my Oberlin High School students, they understand that. Mm -hmm. So we say that kids can't grapple that. Mm -hmm. Kids can. Wow. It's the adults who can't handle yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> they could do it. Um, as a young black man, what advice could you give us or anyone? Wow. Sir, I'm sorry, sir, are you, are you interested in teaching or? <laughs> no. no? Okay. Criminal justice and becoming a police officer. Well, congratulations on that. Give you applause. Um, My mother always told me this, something so small, where if someone is having a conversation with you, like look them in the eye, and I never understood why until I got older. And I think what she meant by that is to be confident in who I am, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? As a black man in America, mm -hmm. to really appreciate my gifts, to appreciate my culture, and 
to really recognize what's my heritage mm. brought to this country. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That you're more than a slave, right? Mm -hmm. You're more than Jim Crow. Mm -hmm. uh, that you are somebody. Like Jesse Jackson said, you are somebody. And you know, my mother said that when I walk, make sure I straighten up my back when I walk and don't put my head down. Mm -hmm. And so I take that with you. Just straighten up your back. That's real. Yeah, walk you with know, pride. Yeah, mm -hmm. And, and to build off what you just said yeah. around heritage, one of the big things for me was uh, learning about my family's history of coming yes. to Oberlin. So my family came from Oxford, Mississippi to Oberlin for, you know, economic opportunity to escape the racism, the yes. terrorism that was happening in the South and hearing about their strength and their resilience to get to Oberlin and then the challenges that they faced in Oberlin That's right. and uh, how they had to overcome them. So I think tapping into your history is important, mm -hmm. knowing where you come from. Is a, is a key part of, of being success and recognizing the same strength that your ancestors had to get you to where you are, that same strength is still within you. And uh, to use that to carry you straight. Uh, we got here and then here. Go ahead. Good morning. Good morning. Um, my name is Dolores McCollum. I'm a retired social studies teacher in Cleveland and you and I are in a very, very small village. Yeah. There are very few African-American social studies teachers I taught with throughout my years in the classroom male and female were even smaller. Um, you somewhat addressed it, the issue about um, black males in the schools in general. Um, but my real question to you is when you were um, in the classroom, did you find the history books to be um, somewhat what I call on the miserable side? The, most of the history books I worked with were utterly unmistakably miserable. When I looked in the you know, the beginning page to see who wrote them. There were no classroom teachers, so most of the time I worked outside of the book. Um, I uh, taught at a time when, you know, where's my kid's book? So I had to kind of dance around that. But my lived experience um, is that the worst book in all of academia is a high school social studies book. So what's one of you? Particularly I, history, yes. especially history. And I totally agree with you. Um, so what I try to do is supplement. Um, so in my classes, we read a lot of primary sources from different authors, different national ethnic group, because we need that broad range of understanding, right? It just can't be a Eurocentric paradigm, right? It has to come from different authors and readers of the time period um, to get that full understanding of Americas, right? And so. You know, you have to read Carl G. Woodson, you have to read W.E.B., you got to read Booker T., you have to read Mary McLeod Bethune, right? You have to read these great writers of the period in order to understand their struggle and their philosophy as well. So to piggyback, yes, a history book is probably one of the most undeserved <laughs> books that there are. Now, you know, it's interesting, these bills that are being mm -hmm. proposed, I want to make sure we tie it back to making sure you're watching who you're voting for and holding them accountable. These bills are actually yep. banning the supplemental materials as well. They call out, hey, we also don't want you bringing supplemental yes. stuff into the classroom. Mm -hmm. So it's even attacking the, okay, you gave me this, let me work around it this way. They say, no, 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 we want that banned as well. Yeah. So uh, just again, that's something we want to be mindful of in this political climate. My name is Christopher, and the question I had was, uh, like, what are the negatives of being National Teacher of the Year? Like, if you have any, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, that's only if you have any. That, that's a good question. Um, 
Chris is missing you. Yeah. yeah. I like that. So Chris goes to Oberlin High School and the table there in the back table. So it's probably not being in the classroom, uh, not forming relationships with first-year students. There's some students at the back table uh, that goes to Oberlin that I don't know, and that's, that's difficult mm -hmm. when you don't know students. That's right. Yeah. Uh, we appreciate that passion. Uh -huh. That's beautiful. Go ahead. You got a question? Oh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. You go first. You go first. Um, how do you think being National Teacher of the Year has impacted the teachers at Oberlin? <laughs> they proud of you. They are proud of you. They are proud of you. We got one of this, them right here. We're Miss TB. Miss TB. Yeah, they proud of you. They yeah. proud of you. How has it affected teachers at Oberlin? Um, Brooklyn, that's... Wow. Honestly, I, I'm not sure how. Hopefully, in a positive way. Yes, yes. Um, no, I always try to carry myself as not necessarily being this title, mm -hmm. but being a colleague, um, someone who comes to work just like the other great teachers at Oberlin High School. Mm. Do you think right. when you come back, they're going to be like, oh, this is the National Teacher of the Year's table. Let's what? go over here. You know? <laughs> well, I, I, I hope not. I know one person, Ms. Tobin Brown, would not allow yeah. that to happen. Oh, we got a question here. Yeah. Mr. Russell, you've spoken eloquently about the need for students of color to see teachers of color. And I wonder if your experience at Oberlin or your experience touring the country has given you any insights about the need of white students to see teachers of color. Yes. Would you comment on that? Thank you so much. That's a great question. Um, research shows that all students benefit from a more diverse faculty. Right. Um, and and what I recognize, even at Oberlin, where African-American history class, there have been many semesters where there have been more white students in Oberlin in African-American history class or race during the Depression than black students. And so it's so important for all of us to be in harmony with one another about learning and learning about differences and learning about accomplishments and to celebrate um, all. And having a black male teacher in the classroom, I believe helps my white students to break down some stereotypes, some barriers, um, to give them a different perception of what black men could be, more than a LeBron James, more than a Jay-Z. Yeah. but a classroom instructor, which I yeah. think is powerful. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So, so just building off of that, I think um, one thing that has always stood out to me, I went to Oberlin my senior year mm -hmm. for, you, you know, kind of free agency season or whatever. <laughs> so, um, so, but I had never had a black teacher mm -hmm. my entire educational pathway until I got to Oberlin. Mm -hmm. And, um, and y'all had a certain environment and climate there. Again, I, I joke about getting in trouble, but I was getting in trouble. Yes. <laughs> and uh, they, everybody looked out for me though. It was like this kind of care of like, mm -hmm. all right, Frank, get it together, as opposed to like, get out. Mm -hmm. And I think that it spoke to that kind of community and understanding mm -hmm. that, you know, I may be disruptive, but now that same disruptive is, it, it had skills, it was a gift. And yes. sometimes our kids 
gifts are identified as problems. Yes. And, and, and their leadership, their outspokenness, the same things that they'll need in the, their adulthood mm -hmm. to survive, they're getting kicked out of school yeah. for. And, um, and so, no. That's a great point. Know. Got a question here, then we'll go here. Go ahead. Okay. Um, I'm from Beaumont. I'm Kalia. Um, like a little context, growing up in my years of uh, middle school, throughout high school, it's like in my mis middle school classes with history, we don't really have discussions, but we do talk about the history and it seems a little unrealistic. So my question to you is like, do you find it difficult to keep bias out of the classroom with you being a history teacher? And if so, how can you, as a teacher, bring it into discussion without hurting the classroom environment in terms of feeling safe and like yeah. confident? That's a, a great question because, yes. Everybody like, man, that question was deep. Yeah, you know? <laughs> no, all of us have our own biases. Yes. I mean, that's, yes. I cannot, it's human. It's human nature. Yeah. So I cannot sit here and say that I do not have my bias, right? So if I see a student with a Confederate flag wait in school, I have a bias towards that. Mm. But what I try to do is educate. Um, my students would tell you that before a pre-lesson or a post-lesson, I have students stand up every day and I raise a question. And I use a line in my classroom and say, if you believe in this statement, you know, go on this line or go on that line. And then we discuss our issues. So I allow my students to talk first. And then what I try to do is bring in the historical ramification that's happening. Um, so students talk. This is what historians are saying. This is the time period. Um, and then hopefully what I try to do is to present, to, to present a non-threatening summary of what my thoughts are. But I always preface by saying this. These are my thoughts. You can agree or disagree, right? But these are my thoughts on the subject matter. So my thoughts on the Confederate flag is that it's harmful, mm -hmm. but those are my thoughts. Mm -hmm. And students could develop their own perception yeah. if they like to do so. You know, I think to, to her point in her question around safety in the classroom, yes. and it is a very um, delicate time we're in right it now is. in society where um, I, I think it's important for us to be sensitive to what, what people are feeling, mm -hmm. but also we have to learn how to lean into the discomfort as well. Uh, there's a big dialogue right now around uh, black and Jewish communities around the nation and, and, and in particular here in Northeast Ohio. I'm a part of this group Rekindle. We're having those conversations with the statements that different people have made. And one of the big takeaways is like we have to lean into the conversation. Yes. Like we, from the, our Jewish brothers and sisters need to lean in and our black brothers, we all need to lean into yeah. this conversation. As opposed to I think sometimes the discomfort makes us just want to say let's not talk about yeah. it at all. And so how do you avoid creating that dynamic where it's safe, but at the same time, you're encouraging people to lean into yeah. their discomfort. I think you have to create on the first day that safe space, right? Mm. Those norms. Mm. Um, there was a student, when I was announced on CBS, a student said that in my class, I make students be comfortable 
with being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? You have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. So there's subject matter that makes you cringe, mm -hmm. but the way in which you grow is to be uncomfortable. Yeah. I never know anyone to develop just through comfort. You gotta have some struggle there, yeah. which is okay. Yeah. yeah. You're awesome, man. Let's yeah, give Kurt a hand again. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mayor Frank Whitfield and Kurt Russell, for joining us today at the City Club. Today's forum is sponsored by the George Gunn Foundation and Nordson, with additional support from the Ohio Council of Urban Leagues and the Council of Chief State School Officers National Teacher of the Year. We are grateful for all of you for your support. We would also like to welcome guests at the tables hosted by Beaumont School, the Cleveland Teachers Union, College of Worcester, Euclid High School, Friends of Education, Garfield Heights City School District, Honesty for Ohio Education, Oberlin High School, Nordson, Northeastern Ohio Education Association, St. Martin de Porres High School, and the Urban League and Associates. Round of applause for everybody. Thank you for coming. Up next for the City Club this week, on Thursday, November 10th, we'll have our annual conversation about the state of downtown. And on Friday, November 11th, we will learn about our state constitution, the voters' power to alter it at the ballot box, and why that matters much more than you might think. Tickets are still available for these forums. And our final forum on our uh, Education Innovation Series is December 9th, Friday, December 9th. That will be uh, CEO Eric Gordon in conversation with Mayor Justin Bibb. Tickets are sold out for that forum, but you can join us live stream at cityclub.org. And that brings us to the end of today's forum. Thank you once again to Kurt and Mayor Whitfield. And thank you, members and friends of the City Club. I'm Cynthia Connolly, and this forum is now adjourned. For information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org. Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream Public Media are made possible by PNC and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated.